Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. I'm Stefan Christoph, and this is our weekly radio broadcast on CKUT. On the program today, we are going to be hearing from filmmaker Ariel Nasser, who made a really important documentary film called The Forbidden Real that documents the lives and experiences of Afghan filmmakers particularly who are working to uh, sustain film archives in the context of the Taliban rule in Afghanistan in the 1990s. Uh, But also it really gives a portrait as to uh, Afghan filmmakers and archivists and um, the cultural sector in Kabul. The film is uh, a work that Ariel released before uh, the recent crisis in Afghanistan. And I'd heard that Ariel and others have been working on an initiative to support Afghan filmmakers in this time in uh, November 2021. And I thought it would be a a really important moment to hear Ariel's reflections about the current crisis in Afghanistan and... um, offer some insights and critical perspectives as to uh, where we are at today um, and also the responsibility of people within countries of NATO, which occupied Afghanistan for so many years. Um, We look at the contemporary situation from many different angles, and I recorded this conversation in the Crepuscule um, Sculpture Park here in Montreal, just off of Van Horn Street. Um, so here's my conversation with filmmaker Ariel Nasser. With filmmaker Ariel Nasser, uh, who um, worked on a very important film called The Forbidden Real that uh, has shown recently in uh, Montreal at Cinema du Parc, but was shown internationally at many festivals. Um, we've been talking recently about the crisis in Afghanistan and about the lack of context in terms of understanding this moment, uh, which has so many angles, so many aspects. But, you know, maybe one thing that um, in terms of reaching out to you, Ariel, I was thinking about was just sort of the lack of context that we hear in the media around, like, the role of intervention and how that reshaped the political, economic, social, cultural map of Afghanistan. I know you spent a lot of time there. You have family there. Um, one one thing that maybe is not in the headlines right now um, that had a, a huge impact was the U.S. surge uh, of forces under Obama, 2010 till 12, I, I believe. And I bring that up just to think about the amount of resources, like material, financial resources, but also material resources, human resources that went into the intervention, uh, military intervention, and how that changed, you know, within the last two years in terms of moving towards a quote-unquote peace process with the Taliban. Um, I'm just wondering if you could offer any reflections, given that you were in those spaces of contradiction, about the fact that there there was space created, you know, within the context of uh, uh, intervention, and many Afghan people took took that space, and filmmakers, and and feminist organizations, and and took action to to reconstitute and to to reassert presence in in, in Afghanistan. 
And on the Western Front, there was like so much money and so much time. And it seems like so much of that today, it amounted to posturing, which I think maybe people think about billions of dollars. It, it's sort trillions. of trillions. It's, it's sort of mind blowing to think about. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's uh, it's been a. It feel it does feel like a turning point. Like it feels like a very a very big turning point. Obviously, with the Taliban coming back into power, um, the whole mission over twenty years, more than two decades, was framed around human rights and around. Um, I, I really think around uh, positioning the Taliban as. Um, not only being uh, having a deplorable human rights record, but more specifically having a deplorable record on uh, women's rights. And um, so, you know, I think it was uh, a little bit awkward for the U.S. to start the peace process and to and to move through that with an enemy that um, had uh, been portrayed as absolute evil. Um, and, you know, and and. And the result of that, I mean, I think there were a few, helped to justify the war to to the public in a time when Islamophobia was at its peak. Um, you know, so that that's something I think should be acknowledged, and that that was used, uh, and Islamophobia being a form of racism. So, you know, this is something that I think you should spot whenever you can. But I mean, racism is is definitely. Uh, present anytime we're justifying wars in countries that are far away that where the populations are people that we've racialized and um, so I think that's a really big uh, element of it but when it ceases to be convenient for um, uh, you know these outside forces these larger uh, countries and, and richer countries then it, then then of course the that's where you see the holes in the rhetoric right mm -hmm. so um all of a sudden peace is 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 the ultimate good right all of a sudden it's peace that's the ultimate good and not human rights that we have to fight for right that we have to disrupt the peace there was peace before that you know mm -hmm. say what you will about the uh regime the country was right. not in a state of war uh, which it had been previous to that which was, uh, for the most part, why Afghans had accepted the Taliban was because they brought a certain level of, um, uh, you know, they, they brought a certain level of calm uh, in terms of um, out and out conflict. Of course, for the women of Afghanistan, for Afghan women, you know, throughout the country, life got uh, harder. Um, although one could argue that for, um, you know, subsistence farmers, uh, life didn't necessarily change very much. Um, so, but I think it's, it's, it's really, to me, um, um, shocking how um, the rhetoric changes around, around the war without a whole lot of accountability for what was said before, without taking stock of, like, what was said before and what makes sense or okay if we were wrong before are there lessons to be learned from that right so let, let's uh let's learn those those hard lessons let's have some reckoning and um but it, it doesn't it doesn't happen so i think to some extent you know there's a certain uh value for um governments in in, in allowing uh the public to only have a short memory of, of what's been happening because it, it means that they don't have to be accountable. They don't have to explain their mistakes. They don't have to learn their lessons. And, um, 
attacks. So, you know, because, I mean, the damage is, is not to the politicians if they're getting re-elected. Re I mean, the damage is to the taxpayers. The damage is to uh, the human beings who live in the places where the wars are taking place, to people who fight. So, um, yeah, so I think it's really sad. And, and, and um, you know, I think, I think efforts, you know, we need to make greater efforts to keep people accountable. And I think journalists should be doing that as well. So, so, you know, and that's where I feel like journalism really failed in Afghanistan um, because uh, although there were some really great journalists who uh, made sacrifices and worked very hard to uh, tell uh, important stories about Afghanistan, unfortunately their voices are drowned out by a majority of journalism about Afghanistan that just isn't factual, uh, that's misleading and that um, was very lazy actually in terms of the practice of journalism, um, you know, a lack of uh, deeper research, uh, relying on too few sources, um, you know, uh, naming sources uh, in articles that couldn't be tracked down, you know, the famous uh, Abdul who only has one name, you know, um, there are many ways of identifying people, right? You can say where they're from, you could say where their father is, for example, as this is done in Afghanistan. So uh, a lot of the, the journalism was very lazy and tended to simply reinforce um, what uh, governments were saying about Afghanistan and just play into that narrative. And rather than bringing fresh information, you know, new information or really investigating mm -hmm. more deeply. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, unfortunately, I think that created confusion on the part of the general public uh, in countries, in NATO countries, you know, in countries that were invested in fighting in Afghanistan. And, and, and made it harder for the public to really make uh, informed decisions when they were voting or when they were expressing their opinion about uh, um, the war. So that, I think, was a big, a big failure, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, you can criticize governments, but you kind of expect to a certain extent uh, that when a government is involved in a war, they're going to shape the narrative aggressively, um, mm -hmm. you know, for their own purposes. But, but that's what, what journalists should be there to stop. And I, I was extremely demoralized to see that that wasn't happening for the most part. Um, journalism was there to support. The narratives that were created by governments—that's what they were there for. They—they—that's that's how they—they they framed the debate. The debate was framed by, by, by the states, you know, that were involved uh, in, uh, in the wars. And outside of that, you had, um, you know, very little um, high-level, uh, well-informed uh, debate. Um, so, although, you know, there were definitely. Um, a lot of people on the left who felt that, you know, the war was unjustified. You know, unfortunately, without good journalism, it's very hard to make, um, to make arguments that um, really hold weight. And so, again, uh, without that information that journalists can provide, um, you know, we're kind of lost. And so much of it was just sensational. Or it was... Um, uh, focused obsessively on the concerns of audiences back home rather than alerting them to things that they should be concerned about. I mean, one example to, of that was the prisoner transfer scandal, which I thought was uh, uh, a lot of ink was shed. A lot of ink was shed on, uh, on, on something that was fairly inconsequential when you think about uh, Canada's most important ally in the war and what was happening in their prisons, Right. Um, but nobody um, was debating whether we should be allied with um, 
a power, an ally that 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 tortured uh, that tortured people in in prison. Um, well, I think maybe people might not remember what that was. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, yeah, I mean the the prisoner transfer scandal, as it was called. I mean, it was so important at, in the headlines in Canada yeah. at, at a moment, but it shows also the ways that it seems like there isn't an actual commitment to follow through politically in terms of like these expressed um, sort of gestures towards human rights or towards, you know, prisoner rights or... That's right. I mean, for me, like one of the things that I would have liked to have seen discussed in the media at that time was how, how is the Canadian military and the U.S. military, their allies and the British military, how are they making their decisions about who to strike in Kandahar? in those places where they're fighting, in Helmand, right? In those southern places where there was a heavy Taliban, Taliban presence. How are they making their decisions around who to fight, right? Because there's no uh, front line, you know? This is not conventional, traditional warfare. So how are they making their decisions about who to surveil and who to fight and who to... So that's what I would have liked to know about. And that's, I think, what the public deserved to know about because we were killing people over there, right? And we were killing people at times, I believe, for their opinions rather than for their actions. Um, so when you're bringing democracy somewhere and you're killing people because of their political opinions, you're not bringing democracy, right? So um, this is problematic, and I think the public should have known about that, you know? I think they should have had more insight into exactly what was happening in, uh, with decision makers in the military and when they were making decisions around who to fight, who to kill. That's what, that was the legacy that we left behind, and we know very little about it, actually. Um, you know, the fact that uh, some Taliban prisoners were beat up in Afghan prisons, um, you know, to have that create the debate that it did over here and, and the political, you know, maelstrom that it created over here, it just speaks to really deep naivete because there were so many um, uh, other areas that we could look where we would have found abuses that were worse than that. Um, so... Uh, that, that's what I mean by I feel like um, unfortunately somehow journalism failed in that war uh, as a whole um, not that there weren't good journalists but that yeah, yeah. overall we received a very very distorted picture of what was happening there and, and so quite incredibly after you know those 20 years of war uh, most people still know very very little about Afghanistan they have a handful of um, sensational stereotypes and that's about it and so i think i think it's problematic on the flip side i think canadians you know and i'm sure this is true about other nato countries too want to know more i think that they want to know more i think they want to be involved i think they want to help people and i've seen that like since the um this new chapter you know since august 15th when the the afghan government changed I've seen that. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard from so many Canadians who uh, know that I'm involved um, uh, in some efforts to help Afghan people, Afghan filmmakers get out of Afghanistan, who know that I've who've heard me speak about Afghanistan. I, and I receive messages all the time asking how people can help, right? And so I know that um, there's goodwill, you know? I, I think that if uh, people had, had better information that... Um, you know, that we'd be making better decisions as a, as a country. Um, so it's just, it's just so important. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's been a major, major chapter. And I think for anyone who has connections in Afghanistan to Afghanistan, who has family there or some link to the country, it's been a really devastating time. I mean, it's, it's, um, you have people who've invested decades of their lives into a context in a situation that was, um, 
challenging, but uh, provided a certain set of opportunities and promises. And now that is that has just disappeared overnight. And so it's uh, it's created a lot of um, it's really created a, a great deal of uh, uh, desperation. Um, and I feel I do feel that you know uh, Western governments perhaps could have done more to um, to help uh, you know at the end um, and and maybe can continue to do more and and putting the well-being of ordinary Afghans first I think is what needs to happen in every decision um, you know to play politics at this point around um, aid uh, is really uh, shameful after everything that's happened. We are not uh, an alliance that has made great decisions the whole way through this war, you know? This is not a situation where, uh, you know, one side can stand taller than the other Mm -hmm. and and render judgments. So uh, what we need to do is recognize that we were involved in um, a failed attempt to um, change Afghanistan and that at the very least now that things have turned out badly despite our efforts that we can put ordinary Afghans ahead of the politics that brought us to this point so that's what I think needs to happen you know Um, there needs to be pressure from the Canadian public and from from publics across the west to to put Afghans first, to put Afghan people, their well-being, their health, their safety, their uh, food on their tables, that has to come before any politics. And frankly, the NATO alliance went to Afghanistan and the U.S. went to Afghanistan um, in force to um, change a government and change a country's ideology and the Taliban have done the same thing so really morally speaking um, there's no reason now to um, act as though the Taliban stole something you know um, what right did the US have to go to Afghanistan in the first place only the right of conquest only the right of we were stronger and we um we have we have you know we've changed things because we could and because strategically they're better for us this way and uh, you know now a, a different set of forces has done the same thing um and moved the country in another direction and it's not where we wanted to see it go and there will be a lot of negative consequences for women, for children, for, for, for people across the country, for minorities, for religious minorities. There will be a lot of negative um, uh, repercussions for them. Um, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we don't, we don't have a moral high ground to uh, judge the Taliban um, for having um, yeah. taken the government uh, by force. Um, so, you know, I mean, I really think it's time to put politics aside as far as Afghanistan goes and just, and just help and just try to help ordinary people get through what's going to be an incredibly difficult time economically. Um, so if anything, you know, aid should be, uh, increased to, to provide people with what they need to survive what's going to be a terrible time. 
and the politics can really, I think, take a back seat at this point. But I don't see that happening, and I feel a lot of despair because um, it appears as though, even after we should have learned, right, that bringing our politics to another foreign country far away, you know, needs to be done with um, an attitude of, you know, first do no harm, you know, not um, with um, not with the kind of profligate, you know, spending and use of military that resulted in um, this huge, like, I would say, uh, increase in the threat of the Taliban in, 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 like, really pouring gasoline onto a fire. I mean, you have a place that's been struggling with conflict for decades, bringing more weapons to that country, I would say, mm -hmm. like, just as a basic principle is probably not a good idea. There might be other ways you can, you can work with that, that country uh, diplomatically to try and improve things, right? Um, there are other tools. And I think, um, yeah, I just think it's really sad that having um, failed in our efforts to control Afghanistan militarily, um, we're now trying to control outcomes by withholding aid, which is desperately needed by ordinary people. So it's very sad. But, um, but yeah. But, you know, the longer, the more time you spend in Afghanistan, the less you can, the less you know, the less you can say for certain, right? The less willing you are, to, I think, to make sort of um, big statements about politics and ideology. Uh, it's a very complex place. But it's also a place where personal relationships are incredibly important. Mm. Um, I think when there's disruption, a lot of that gets disrupted. You know, I think that's... Uh, mm. Your work um, places Afghans' agency at the center. So when we're like looking at this time in the next months when there's going to be a lot of sort of very well-intentioned stories about victims or people struggling, which is not to say that's not a reality, um, I'm just wondering if you could talk about the importance of sort of you know, that decision you made to show the agency of Afghan filmmakers, um, but also just in terms of, like, thinking critically about how to approach this moment when people sort of think about trying to step up in various ways. Yeah, well, I mean, in right now, let's face it, there's not a whole lot we can do to help people who are in Afghanistan other than uh, give them reassurances and visa letters that they can't use because there's no way for them to leave the country, right? So without their agency in this situation, you know, there's very little hope for them. So people are having to leave Afghanistan. So people are having to leave Afghanistan and, um, and that in itself is... Uh, uh, a really a really challenging thing to do right now um, and um, and then others are are remaining in Afghanistan and and, and even protesting uh, you know what's what's what the new the measures that the new government has brought in so um, you know the Afghan people you know are struggling to make their situation better all the time right I mean that you can take for granted but um, in this particular situation, I think there's a lot of sense of helplessness on both sides. Um, you know, I think that uh, the help that has been provided by some countries 
has been important, but I really think that um, it could have gone further and could go further. Um, so hopefully, you know, there will be a sustained effort to continue to help people who need to leave the country because of their involvement in not just in the military or um, diplomatic sectors of, sure. you know, the effort. I mean, there was also this massive effort on paper, like concerted effort to create alternatives to uh, the types of media that the Taliban were uh, promulgating in Afghanistan. So you had huge amounts of money spent on creating um, different forms of media. And then you had this uh, burgeoning television uh, sector in Afghanistan where you had like 13 uh, unique uh, television stations all in Kabul um, and then across the country many more and so um, you know this was also uh, a concerted effort on the part of um, the Western Alliance in Afghanistan was to 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 foster um, a civil society that could act as an alternative and attract, yeah. Yeah. you know, people away from Taliban ideology and towards. And it was a very clear, stated, uh, documented message. So then there is responsibility on the part of the West when it comes to people who decided to invest in that vision and become artists, become filmmakers, become um, different forms of cultural leaders yeah. in Afghanistan. And I think there's still a responsibility to those yeah. people as well to um, provide whatever aid we can, mm -hmm. that, you know, to the extent that will be helpful. There's, there's only so much we can do and that can be recognized, but also just dealing compassionately with Afghanistan through its new government in order to uh, make sure that we're not um, causing more suffering than is necessary, I think is like the chief thing that we could do. You know? That was a conversation with filmmaker Ariel Nasser, uh, who worked on a really great film called The Forbidden Reel. I'd encourage people to check it out. And more generally, Ariel's work, uh, he also made a really moving short documentary about uh, Sudanese-Canadian Abu Sufyan Abdulrazik, uh, who was exiled and struggled to return to Canada as a citizen of uh, Canada and faced many, many obstacles and barriers within that process after he was tortured and jailed in Sudan within a context that Canada had direct responsibility in uh, in regards to the Security and Intelligence Service of Canada, CSIS. So also look up Ariel's work in that regard and his many other projects. Thank you, Ariel, again for joining the program today. This has been um, Free City Radio on CKUT. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. We broadcast a new episode every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Uh, thanks for tuning in today, and uh, we'll be back next week. Do stay tuned uh, for the F-Files, which is coming up next. Um, we share a radio hour here on CKUT. Free City Radio is also a podcast. Um, uh, you can find the archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Also, you can look up um, our program on Apple Podcasts and subscribe there. Um, thanks again for listening. I want to finish the program today with a recent piece of music that my brother uh, Jordan Christoph worked on. Um, it is from an album that is uh, released uh, this year called Wombs. I'll talk to you next week. Take care.